0: welcome to Christchurch, Liverpool. We're really thrilled that you're here. Whether you're watching from your sofa or the kitchen table, or unashamedly, you're still in your pyjamas in bed, you are really, really welcome. Our desire here at Christchurch is to help each other to love Jesus Christ, to love his church, and connect with Liverpool, whether you do that online or in person. If you've ever been impacted by anything that we do, why not take a moment now just to share this link on any platform you're on, or even just press the like button. This small thing is going to help us to reach more people with what God is doing here in the city, and invite others to come and join this journey for themselves. Well, whether this is your first week, or whether you joined us back in 2003 when we first began, we would love to help you to grow in your love of Jesus and love of the church. And with all the constraints at the moment, there's still plenty of ways that we can be doing this. We've just launched PODs, which is small groups for mutual encouragement and fellowship. We're continuing on with our midweek group meeting called Connect with our one-to-one discipleships. Even after the service today, there's a post-service coffee Zoom, which we would love to have you in. Or even now there's live chat, which is, depending where your screen is, is around you somewhere. We would love for you to be part that. If you've got questions or if you're new or if you wanna be involved in one thing, why not contact us? Go to christchurchliverpool.com. At the top of our website is a box saying I'm you. Click on that. Fill in a form. Any questions, anything you want to join. We would love to hear from you. With all that being said, here's the moment we'd be waiting for. The service is about to begin. Let's come expecting that God is going to do something here with us this morning.
1: Good morning and welcome to Christchurch, Liverpool. My name's Anna and I'm on the staff team helping to lead our children's ministry. It's really great to have you with us this morning, especially if this is your first time joining us. Do say hello in the chat. We'd love to get to know you and I promise you'll get a very warm welcome. After the service, there is a chance to chat more over Zoom and the details for that are in the description below the video. Hello to all the children watching and you're all going to be starting an exciting new series today. To find out what it is, click on the links in the description to watch your videos and find your activities and games for this week. There's also going to be a special time for you in our service today, so keep your eyes peeled for that in a little bit. Well, here at Christchurch, we want to meet Jesus Christ, love his church, and connect with Liverpool. And we're going to do that by singing, hearing God's word and praying for each other. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Daniel. Well, at the moment, it feels like our world has gone mad and Daniel was living in a world that was even more mad, full of terrible rulers and danger to those who trusted in God. But despite all that, Daniel was able to live distinctively and trust in God in difficult circumstances. We're going to read Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14 together. I'll read verse 13 and then you can join in and with verse 14, the words will appear on the screen. So Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, we're now going to sing together, asking God, to be our vision. words from Daniel 7 again. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that your kingdom is a perfect kingdom and that it will never be destroyed. Please help us to remember that and not to boast in riches or man's empty praise which will not last, but to rejoice in you and your kingdom. Amen. Well, I said before that there was going to be a special time for the children and that time is now. Over the past four weeks many kids and kids have been learning about Elijah and we really wanted to see what they've been learning. So far they've learned how he trusted God to provide even when it was really hard. How he continued to tell people about God even though the king and queen wanted to kill him and how we should do both of those things even when it's really difficult for us. Well, one of our friends is going to tell us what happens next. I'll give you a clue um, as to who that friend is. He loves a good case and he always finds all the clues. It's detective case clues. So grab your magnifying glasses and your detective hats, and let's all say hi to Case. Hi, Case.
2: In today's true Bible story, we're gonna see Elijah who was a prophet And his job was to tell God's people what God wanted them to know, that there's only one true living God and they should trust and worship him. Well, he knew that he couldn't continue God's work forever and someone else would have to continue God's work after him. Now I'm going to read the true Bible story to you now with a little bit of help from Megan and Daniel. And I want you to think about these two questions. Number one, who would continue the work after Elijah? And number two, what showed that he was the right person for the job? So the true story in the Bible is from 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 19 to 21 and 2 Kings chapter 2 Verses one to 18. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, In a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know? Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's coat that had fallen from him, and went back, and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets of Jericho, who were watching, said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we your servants have fifty able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied. Do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days, but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Wow. Well, what a story. How did you get on answering my questions? Who is it that's going to continue the work of Elijah? That's right, Elisha. And how do we know that he was the right person? Yeah, that's right. They both did the same miracle. They were both able to put their cloak, when they put the cloak down into the river, the water split, didn't it? Elijah knew that he needed to pass on God's work to Elisha. And Elisha knew that Elijah was going away. But did you notice the other prophets? They became dependent on Elijah. They were desperate to find him, weren't they? Even though they'd seen the miracle that Elisha had done and they were convinced that the spirit of Elijah had gone to Elisha. But Elijah knew that it wasn't his work he was doing, it was God's work. He knew that if he left earth, God's work would continue because it is God who is at work. Well, how does God use people to do his work today? Who does he use to do his work? Well, in our church, he uses leaders. He uses Morris and Josh. They are doing God's work. They're telling everyone in the church about Jesus. And who else? What about, what about the kids leaders who tell you about Jesus? They are doing God's work. You see, each of these people who help to do God's work, well, they're not going to live forever. If a church leader dies or, or moves to another church, do you know what? God's work doesn't stop. The church would continue to meet each week and a new leader would carry on God's work. That's the same for everyone who's doing God's work in our church and even those who are around the other side of the world like our missionaries, like Tim and John and Sarah. It's important to understand that it's not our work but it's God's work.
1: Thanks so much for that case and little detectives. It's great that God uses leaders to do his work and he will always provide people to do that work. Well, there'll be a song that we can all enjoy with lots of actions in a little bit. And now Judith is going to do the reading for us. Um, the reading is Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Do go and grab a Bible Bibles so that you can follow along.
3: The reading today is taken from daniel 9 verse 1 to 19. in the first year of darius son of xerxes a Mede by descent who was made ruler over the babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign i daniel understood from the scriptures according to the word of the lord given to jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of jerusalem would last 70 years so i turned to the lord god and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servant, the Prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear
4: your name. Good morning. My name is Josh. I'm one of the Associate Ministers here at Christchurch Liverpool. And I'm going to be uh, talking us through this passage that was just read for us in Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 to 19. Before we do that, you might want to just take a moment, get comfortable, make sure you've got a drink and a snack to hand. And if you've got children, now is a good time to make sure that they are settled with something to keep them occupied if they're going to stay in. And it'd be really helpful if you had a Bible within arm's reach as well. I don't want you to miss anything if you're doing all of that. So I'll just give a brief recap of the book that we are studying. We're looking at the book of Daniel. It's an Old Testament book. And we've called our series in the book of Daniel, Mad World. And that's because as we read the stories in Daniel, well, they show that The world really is a mad place. There's all kinds of challenges going on for Daniel. And he's having to navigate this all the while while being faithful to God. He also gets a series of visions that show how our world has kingdoms that come and go. It's a topsy-turvy place. And yet the things that God says to Daniel and Daniel's example speak powerfully to us today. We believe that as we read through the book of Daniel and have a look at it, we are going to hear God speak to us to give us all we need to be able to navigate our way through our mad world too. Well, I hope you're back with us. Uh, I'm going to pray and then we'll get stuck in. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are confident that your word to Daniel and his example is able to speak to us. It is true and relevant for our day today. And so, Father, we pray that as your word is opened, your spirit will speak. He will speak to our hearts wherever we are, wherever we are in the world or whenever we're watching this. Lord, we pray that your spirit will speak and transform our hearts. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, when bad things happen, we have questions. Why? Why me? Why them? Why now? How did it get so bad? And sometimes we try and come up with answers to those questions. We might say, well, perhaps it was inevitable, it was always going to happen. Maybe we we think there are no answers and we want to say, well, the world is just full of bad things, we just have to get on with it and live our lives. Maybe we try and find answers by bringing God into the equation and saying, well, maybe suffering happens because God is bringing a punishment on somebody for what they've done. Well, A number of years ago there were two disasters quite close together both in terms of location and in terms of time. The first disaster was that there was a tower and it collapsed and 18 people lost their lives. The second was that there was an army raid on a worship service. It was a massacre and many worshippers were brutally murdered. Now a local religious leader was asked about the massacre. Specifically, he was asked whether the people who died had done something perhaps to deserve it, that they had done something wrong, worse than everybody else. And the answer was no, that isn't how we are to view suffering at all. We mustn't assume that people suffer because they're worse than us. But, he said, unless you repent, well then you too would be among them. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's in the Bible, Luke chapter 13, and the religious leader is Jesus. And do you see how he has flipped the question there? When we are asking, why are things so bad? Jesus says the question really should be, why aren't things worse? Unless you repent, why would you expect things to get any better? See, Jesus helps us reorient our thinking to realise that if we have our backs turned on God, and in a world that turns its back on God, well of course suffering would be the normal, it would be to be expected. In fact the unusual thing would be why, how could I say something hurtful to someone in the morning and yet still be allowed to sleep in comfort in my own bed in the evening? That's the unusual thing, or why would I be able to be, uh, do something really selfish one day and still be able to enjoy all the food in my fridge the next? But the default when God's people suffer ought not to be to assume that we deserve better but to recognize we deserve worse. And so to recognize that in times of crisis and fear and grief and instability that now more than ever is the time to repent. Well why am I talking about Luke 13 and Jesus. So have I got the passages confused? No, we are in Daniel 9, but it's this principle that helps explain what Daniel 9 is doing where it is. See, Daniel 7 to 12 is a block of visions. And the visions for Daniel, they are visions of kingdoms rising and falling. He's visions of the future. And he gets to see behind the curtain to see what God is doing in all of this. Daniel 9 doesn't fit. It's not a vision, not verses 1 to 19. It sticks out. In fact, this is the last time that we really hear Daniel speak in the whole book. We do come to Daniel 10 to 12 afterwards, but that's just that's another vision and an explanation. We don't really see Daniel's response. You see, this prayer in Daniel 9 is, is put in here. To show loud and clear, in the midst of these visions, in the midst of kingdoms rising and falling, in the midst of everything stable, collapsing, when the poor and vulnerable are exploited and rulers stir up hatred, when there's upheaval, uncertainty, fear, loss, and pain, well, this is here to show us the response is to say now more than ever is the time to repent. And as if to underline this... The very first words of Daniel 9 place it in a time of massive turmoil in Daniel's life. It tells us in verse 1 that we're in the rule of Darius, the first year of his rule. But it tells us also that Darius is a Mede, but he's ruling in Babylon. Now, why is a foreigner ruling in Babylon? Well, that's because for the second time in Daniel's life, his world has been turned upside down. Firstly, Daniel's home country was invaded back in the day. He was exiled, brought into a new country, new language, new name, new culture, and new normal. But now, over four decades on, he's settled and he's made a life for himself as one of the chief government officials. And now, in the first year of the reign of Darius, Babylon is invaded. What was once stable begins to crumble again. And so, more than ever, now is the time to repent. And as we look at this chapter, we are going to learn from Daniel what that real repentance should look like. We're going to examine his posture. And we're going to see that repentance in unsteady times involves coming to God with knees bent, hands open, and eyes up. Uh, So knees bent. Uh, Bending the knee is a posture we're familiar with. It has come to mean two things really in our day and age, and both of them are relevant here. First, when you bend the knee to somebody, you're bowing to them. You're acknowledging your place in relation to theirs. You are ascribing to them honor and worth and getting low yourself to show that you are lowly. And that's a position of real repentance that Daniel takes throughout this whole prayer. And it's there, for example, in verses four and five, how he starts, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. It's striking. It's almost moving just how utterly humble and vulnerable and honest Daniel is in this prayer. He's stripped of any pride. He doesn't do that thing that we often hear people do where we apologize for any offense this might have caused. As if to say, well, if it didn't cause any offense, then what I did was probably okay. Uh, And if it did cause offense, well, (laughs) that's actually probably more your problem than mine. No, that's not Daniel's posture. It's low. He says, I was wrong, we were wrong. His confession is raw, nothing is hidden. Everything is exposed. Nothing is excused. And the second thing we mean when we see somebody bending the knee is what we've seen a lot more of in the last few years in when sports people take a knee. Taking the knee means that something is not right. There is something hateful going on and it must stop. And that's Daniel's posture too. He's not just humble. He's what we could call contrite. He looks at the sin he's done and he he hates it. It comes out in the, the language and tone he uses. He really, really wants that all to stop. He wants to put it behind him. He couldn't be more open. Verse 7, we are covered with shame, he says, because we've sinned. Well, notice that in such a time of turmoil, Daniel's not coming to God in prayer to wallow in his hard situation. He's not upset at the invasion of Babylon or moaning about the latest national crisis because for Daniel, the biggest crisis, the reason to take a knee, is this issue that we're not listening to God's Word. Now, this is telling And it's a challenge for us. And here's why. When Daniel's world was turned upside down, don't you think the first question on everybody's lips would have been, how long will it be before we can get back to normal? I'm guessing that because that is the question on our lips, isn't it? So don't you think Daniel's prayer would have been, please God, can we just go back? to the way things were. That's often our prayer, but it's not Daniel's prayer. In fact, it's a very opposite. He renounces the way things were, and that's at the heart of repentance. One of the things we can learn about this posture of bending low is that we don't long to God for the way things were, but we renounce it. It's what Daniel does, and it's what we can be doing in lockdown and pandemic at the moment because we recognise that now more than ever is the time to repent, to put behind us all the ways that we stopped listening to God, to come to him and bend low and confess those, lay everything out, come clean, keep nothing back, make no excuses. And We should recognise that longing to go back to the way things were is in many ways just another way of stopping listening to God. One of the challenges uh, I've found from looking at Daniel 7 and 8 lately is something Morris mentioned last week, that uh, in the visions Daniel gets in chapter 7 and 8, he kind of sees behind the curtain, and we see that uh, a society that turns its back on God is is an animal kingdom, and there's cruelty and wickedness. It looks awful, and we we really want it to be smashed, and yet the paradox, the tension is that... (laughs) When we see that happening around us, we're, we're terrified. It's scary. And Daniel's prayer calls us to confess our part in that system, in that cruel and evil way of life. Daniel's prayer calls us to bend the knee, to renounce those ways, call out our sin, lay it bare before God, and cast ourselves wholly on God's mercy and we can ask for mercy, because we also come with open hands. And that's the second thing, we come with hands open. Uh, Having your hands open is a posture which acknowledges that you've got nothing to give and yet is ready to receive. See, Daniel has been confessing so bluntly. He's been lowering himself so humbly because he knows that he can come to God with open hands and mercy is readily available. One of the, the hardest things I've experienced about parenting are those times when I have to tell our toddler off. And especially those times when, well, you have to get really stern. You have to really stress the seriousness and importance of this. And it's really hard because you see the bottom lip going and the tears start flowing. And it's really hard when you know that you're the person who's caused this. But the lovely thing when that happens is, is that then she comes to me for comfort. She comes to, to me, to the one whose sternness caused her so, dis- so much distress in the first place. But she comes to me because she knows that although I'm the one who is offended, I'm the one who is cross, she knows that when she can co- she can come to me with open hands, And mercy is unconditionally available. And it's that posture that we see in Daniel's prayer as well. In verse 16, he does pray to God. He prays to God to turn away his anger and his wrath. But he's not fleeing from God. He's fleeing to God. Verse 19, he's pleading. He says, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. He's fleeing to God as the only hope he has. In his humble posture, he doesn't come with hands full to give to God. He doesn't pretend he can fix the problem. He doesn't bargain with God as if he can give to God something so that he can get his favor back. Well, that wouldn't fit. Such naked confession that we've just seen would only lead into this humble, hands-open plea for mercy. And it's never more clear than in verse 18. Have a look down at verse 18 with me. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. That's it right there. Right there is the heartbeat of repentance. Right there is the response that all of God's people ought really to have deep down in our hearts when we're faced with a national crisis or these terrifying visions uh, that there will be kingdoms who reject God. Well, deep down in our hearts, we ought to have that response that says, I cannot come to you with any merit of my own, but I will plead because I know you're good. I know you're merciful. I have no confidence in myself but I cast all my confidence in your good character. Hands open, nothing we can give, and we come to receive. The amazing thing is these verses can take on an even more profound significance for us than they did for Daniel. Because when Daniel prays, he, he could say he prays some slightly contradictory things. Because on the one hand, Daniel prays and he says to God that God is right to judge them. He is just in his judgment. But on the other hand, Daniel says, please turn away your anger and your wrath. And he says that that would be in keeping with all your righteous acts. Well, how is it that God is just to punish wrongdoing, but also righteous to turn away his anger? Well, Daniel makes no attempt to try and reconcile those things. He just knows that he has confidence in God's mercy. And for all the confidence that Daniel has, you and I can have far more confidence in God's mercy. Because 500 years after Daniel, in the person of Jesus Christ, God stepped down into our lowliness, into our sin and shame. He became a human just like us. And as a human, he bore that burden of sin that we confess. The shame that covered us covered him. And when it came time for God to unleash his anger, well, Jesus took it all to the cross. God did turn his wrath and his anger away, away from us and onto Jesus. But... The burden of sin and guilt was wiped out. It wasn't ignored. It was dealt with. It was punished. So God was just. He was right. He was righteous and he has dealt with all of our sin. And it is punished and it is finished and it is done away with. And so you and I can also plead with him for mercy, knowing that he can be just to forgive. So for a Christian then, verse 18 is the start, middle and end of our Christian life. We've said it in the past. We will say it again and we will sing it forever. We cannot make requests of you because of any righteousness in ourselves. But we have the cross of Jesus that gives us complete confidence. That when we come with open hands, mercy is readily available. So when bad things happen, then now more than ever, is the time to repent. But do you see now how comforting and secure a thing that is? Because we are able to lay our sin bare before God because we've got confidence in Jesus, that that sin that we confess is taken away and it is dealt with. And the mercy we plead for is readily available through God's righteousness. And that is our deepest joy and our hope to be able to say that we can come to God with no righteousness of our own and yet have complete confidence. Because our Jesus has taken that for us and God comes in mercy. And that is the most secure place to be right now. So we can repent with our knees bent, bowing low because we have our hands open, nothing to give and everything to receive. And as we do that, we can follow Daniel and turn our eyes upwards. What I mean by that is that Daniel's prayer shows us that we can bring our requests to God. And it shows us what to pray in unstable times that God has guaranteed he will answer. You see, Uh, Right from the start, this prayer has a focus on Jerusalem. Have a look at verse 2. Notice that in verse 2, what prompted this prayer from Daniel was that he read in the book of Jeremiah, probably for the first time, that Jerusalem would be desolate for 70 years. Now, by now, it was probably about 46 years since Jerusalem was sacked. And we don't really know whether Daniel is reading this part of Jeremiah, um, with sadness, knowing that there's still another 24 years to go, and so he prays, or whether he's reading it with joy, knowing that the end is in sight, even though it's 24 years away. But what we do know is that because Daniel has God's promise that Jerusalem will be restored, he doesn't then turn inwards with his eyes down and in to pray that things will then start getting better from here, for him he now prays that Jerusalem will be restored. And why is that? It's because he wants God's glory to be known in the world. Uh, I've I've got a particular talent. Uh, It's quite rare. Not many people know about it. Uh, And it's it's that whenever I taste butter, I can tell whether it's Welsh. Now, uh, you might doubt me, but I've got a pretty good record of guessing that at home. I can tell, you see, because uh, there's a certain quality about it. There's a smoothness, a richness, and a creaminess that my taste buds can detect is just, it's just superior to butter made in other countries and Welsh, by the way. Uh, The Welsh, we've got delicious butter. We've got lamb, Uh, we've got music and song, we've got rugby. We've got a whole lot of stuff that we want to show the world. And when people taste the Welsh butter or the Welsh lamb, when people hear a Welsh male voice choir or see the Welsh rugby team play, well, it causes them to stop and marvel and it brings a little bit of glory to the nation. Well, in the Old Testament, God chose to showcase his glory, not in a delicacy or a sport, but in a city. The idea was that when God's people listen to him and obey him, then the whole nation of Israel, and in particular, Jerusalem, would be this showcase to the world of what kind of God God is, or what kind of, Kind and good and abundant and just and fair and powerful God, their God is. And God promised that one day the world would be full of the knowledge of his glory. And it's for that reason that Jerusalem is at the center of Daniel's prayer. See, verse 15, Daniel alludes to the fact that God's reputation and glory in the nations was established when he led his people out of Egypt into the land where Jerusalem was. But the problem, he says in verse 16, is that now Jerusalem is no longer a showcase, it's a laughing stock. Where's God's glory? And so Daniel's plea in verse 17 and in verse 18 and in verse 19 is for God to address and restore Jerusalem. Not because Daniel wants a nice safe and pretty home to go back to, but because he's lifting his eyes up from himself to the great plan God has for the world. He prays for Jerusalem because he wants God's glory to be showcased and the nations to know. And this is a third aspect of Daniel's posture that should be our go-to response in the face of governments rising and falling. When we see the uncertainty, the instability and fear, we can turn our eyes upwards and pray that God would fulfill his plan and the earth would be filled with the knowledge of his glory. But you know, since since Jesus died and rose again, God's showcase is no longer a city in a physical geographic location. What shows God's glory is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And that is shown not in a people who are rescued from Egypt into a land But what Jesus did on the cross is is demonstrated in the people that God has rescued from death to bring into his family. In other words, God's glory is displayed in the knee bent open hand mercy receivers. It's in us, it's in the church. So our plea in lockdown in the face of an uncertain future ought not to be to look inwards and ask that we can return to the way things were but to look up and pray that God will gain glory for himself in the church. Isn't that surprising? You know, it's easy for us as a church to go into survival mode now that things have been made a lot harder. But the go-to response of God's people ought to be to come to God with our eyes up, lift our eyes to God's plan for the world and pray for his sake that the church would be the beacon of gospel light and hope that it should be. Even if that means we do it via YouTube. So what should we do? At this point in the sermon, we normally would give a point or two of application to help you know how to live this out in daily life. Today, it's going to be really simple. Pray. Pray. Because Daniel nine. Is right here in our Bibles to show us that when we've understood the visions, that even the strongest kingdoms crumble, that there will always be a godless kingdom threatening us. When we understand that, and even when we are in the midst of painful, turbulent times, it teaches us that the go-to response of God's people is to pray, is to recognize that now, more than ever, is the time to repent. So we pray, we pray with bended knee. We pray coming low before God, open about our sin, laying it bare, making no excuses. And we pray with open hands, telling God we have nothing to bring, but that we express our confidence wholly on his mercy, demonstrated and guaranteed by the cross of Jesus. And we pray with our eyes up not facing inward and asking God to be our genie to solve all our problems, but we pray asking God for his sake to fulfill his promise, to bring his glory to the world through the bent knee, open-handed mercy receivers. So let's pray. Lord, we, have no right even to come before you on our own merit. Lord, we confess before you that we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, we bring before you all the times in the last few days that we have failed to listen to your word. We've done that personally in our lives. We've done it corporately in our church. Lord, we have no excuses. We have sinned willfully, wrongfully. Lord, we are low before you. We deserve nothing. We cannot come to you and ask, why are things so bad? Lord, we we come to you and, and think, why are things so good? We deserve far more than this, far more punishment than this, Lord. We deserve the worst you have, but we come with nothing in our hands, with no merit of our own, but we do come confident, confident that you can have mercy on us because we've seen the cross. Jesus has taken your wrath, Lord, so we do not make requests because of our own righteousness, but because of your great mercy. We know you're merciful. Please have mercy. Honors, Please turn us away from what went before. And as we go forward, make us into the people you would have us be who listen and who obey. And for that reason, Lord, make us into the people who display your glory to the world. Lord, bring it about that your church will be a beacon of light and hope in our world. Whatever the circumstances, lockdown or not, lock or not, Lord, we pray that you will Restore the church to be the one who, the thing that reflects your glory in the world. That as people look at the broken, lowly, knee-bent, hands-open, mercy receivers, that they will see a wonderful, beautiful, and kind God. We pray for the sake of your glory. Amen. Well, please do carry on praying in your own prayers. We're going to have uh, a few moments now where there'll be music playing. So wherever you are in your living room, your desk, wherever you are, and whoever you're with, please do take this time to pray. Do pray in response to Daniel chapter 9. Now more than ever is the time to repent. So please do pray. We can pray for one another as well. Uh, We can put prayer requests uh, here in the chat that will come up at the side of the screen. As ever, Remember, it's a public forum, so don't put anything in there uh, that you wouldn't want shared with the world. But please do feel free, put whatever you want in here, and we'll be praying for that in the week to come. So let's turn now with bended knee and open hands, lift our eyes and pray to our good God.
1: to bring your press to a close. We're now going to spend some time praying as Daniel did in the passage with confession of our sin and asking God for mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father as we reflect on what we have learnt from Daniel we confess that we are sinful and you are always right in what you do and in your judgement. We confess that we all have done what is wrong in your eyes and made lives and systems and ambitions which ignore you. Father, we can only pray for mercy, and we can draw near confidently because we know that you are merciful, and because you have poured out your wrath on Jesus instead of us, we can know that mercy is readily available, and can rejoice knowing that we have not experienced the full force of your wrath. And we pray that because of your kindness to us in Jesus, your name would be made known in our city through the church. We pray for your mercy because it shows you for who you are, glorious and wonderful. And we pray that your character and nature would be known throughout Liverpool and beyond through your mercy to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we can talk to Jesus because he is strong and kind. So we're going to sing a song about that now. And this is a great song for the whole family. So if your children have run away, um, do get them back in so that they can join in. As a church, we're learning the signs to this song so that even if we can't sing together when we next meet, we can still do the signs together. The two important ones, well, most important are strong, and kind. And Sarah will be there on the video showing you how to do signs for the other words as well. It's the end of our service, but don't go just yet because I have some very exciting news. It's Christmas! Yes, Christmas is just around the corner and we have lots of exciting events for everyone. Starting on the 1st of December is the Great Advent Calendar. Every day there will be a video on YouTube with part of the Christmas story and there will be a pack of activities and questions to go along with each video. You need to sign up in advance to receive your free pack and you can do that by going to the website at christchurchliverpool.org forward slash Christmas. Well, this year has been really tough for lots of people in our city. So we wanted to bring some joy to the world for those who are facing a difficult Christmas. We wanted to deliver gifts to those who otherwise might not get any. And there are lots of different ways you can get involved by buying gifts, wrapping them or delivering them. All the information and the sign up is on our church website at christchurchliverpool.org forward slash Christmas. Finally, the nativity is a highlight of Christmas. And this year on the 20th of December, we're going to have our first ever great e-nativity. Think fun, craft, pure Christmas joy, and a timeless story. All told through YouTube and Zoom from the comfort of your own home. We'll send the across and everything that you need in advance so to get the full experience you'll need to register and you can do that through our website at ChristchurchLiverpool.org forward slash Christmas. Well there's lots going on over Christmas and it's a great opportunity to invite friends and family along so on our website you'll also find flyers for all those events to send to everyone you know. Please don't sign up people without their permission, um, as we'll be delivering things to their home. Why not go and sign up to those events now at christchurchliverpool.org forward slash Christmas. Thanks so much for joining and see you next time.